a few weeks ago, I read this quote from uh, famous preacher, Pastor Charles Spurgeon. He says, begin as you mean to go on and go on as you began and let the Lord be all in all to you. Now, there, there are some things in life that, that may not really apply to, right? You know, as a, a baby starts to move, they start to crawl, uh, but as we get older, we, we walk, right? It'd be kind of strange if we just crawled for the rest of our life. Or if you're like my youngest, James, he had a different way of crawling, like he dragged one leg, uh, kind of crawl with one hand and leg going so he could hold the toy. Uh, or imagine, you know, babies, they eat baby food. If we just stuck at baby food for the rest of our life, no moving on to steak or bacon or ham, eggs, delicious food. Or maybe you think back to like your college years, like your, your first year in college or out of high school, like maybe there are some things, some partying, drinking, like maybe don't want to go on the rest of my life doing that. Speaking of college, like that's where my wife and I first met. We, you know, we'd go on walks together, go on dates, go out for dinner. You know, I had to, I had to woo her. I had to romance her. But now that we've been married for like 16 years, I don't have to do those things anymore, right? I can just kind of let myself go. She stuck with me. Just checking my wife to see how that joke landed. Not very good. I mean, just the other day, uh, the kids were gone. Um, we, get, we got a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. And I've been playing like these old Super Nintendo games. And Adrian was sitting next to me on the couch. And she said, it's just like college. I'd come over to your dorm and you'd play video games. It's just nothing has changed. Uh, okay, maybe that quote from Spurgeon has some truth to it, right? In fact, that's why I've been studying the book of Genesis, the, the beginning so we've kind of called this from the start, and it says God created and started everything. Uh, Stacy Dunn, if you want to come on up. Stacy's going to read our passage this morning. We're going to be in Genesis 1, uh, 26 to chapter 2, verse 3. I think it'll be on the screens here too. You can open your Bibles up and follow along with us. Genesis 1, 26, chapter 2, verse 3. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in, it, in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Thank you, Stacy. At verse 31 there it says, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. He's made the earth and the sky and says it is good. He's made the sun, the moon, the stars, says it is good. Animals, they were good. He makes us and says it is good. At the end of it all, he, he, he looks over all that he's made and it is amazing and beautiful. And it's not just, meh, that's all right. You know, it changes. It is very good. That's kind of our theme last week, this week. We were made very good. In fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, you were made very good. Go for it. So God waits until day six, the last day of his creating, to create us, humans. Uh, it's the most extraordinary, um, amazing, kind of the pinnacle of creation, you and me. And I, I said last week that I kind of got stuck in verses 26 and 27, was supposed to preach more, but kind of landed on just those two verses. If you ever uh, want to hear sermons, uh, our podcast is called Humble Boldness, uh, but God creates us from the start. He, you see him kind of deliberating for the first time, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So he creates us in his image. He creates us with two genders. These are just important things for us to kind of know, to believe, talk about for today, that you are still made in God's image. You were not made as a mistake. You, your gender, your sexuality, any of that. So today is kind of a, a part two of how God created us, and we get to kind of continue to look at us and how God made us, and, and the way God made us originally has a lot of meaning still for us today. Uh, not only did he create us with value and, and worth and in his image, but, but he made us to do certain things, and, and he gave us certain things. There's this uh, belief that's out there. You'll find it in uh, a, lot of, a lot of people. Kind of, it's, a, it's a philosophy really called agnosticism. And normally it's, it's people that believe in a, a god or gods or something. But you can't really know who that god is. Maybe he or she or it or they created the world and kind of spun it out there and but, but they're really kind of unknowable, and uh, you, you don't really know much about them. They're not really involved very much. And, and maybe it can kind of feel that way as Christians sometimes when we go through um, hard things, difficult things, maybe a, a death or sickness or stress or, or, or loss of a job. We might cry out and, and not get an answer from God. God, where, where are you? Aren't you still here? 
So we feel like God is, is distant or not there and we begin to kind of question and think, you know, what, why are we here? If there's a God, why didn't he just send us to heaven right away? You know, what's, what's the point of why we are here? Or as we've kind of questioned a couple times in these sermons, why doesn't our world look like how God made it? Good, very good. So as we're going to see today in these verses, the God who started everything is still here. He cares for us and he has a purpose Jobs, gifts, even rest for all of our busyness. So first, if you're taking notes, we were made to work. God gives all of humanity a job or a couple jobs here. For all of you that hate your job or had a job you didn't like, you can blame God. God is the one who initiated working and jobs and vocation. And this is the picture of it happening before sin and evil. I mean, working and jobs didn't come just because sin entered the world. This is before all that. And it's kind of tied into, <clears throat> excuse me, our image of God, our identity, right? You can see this. Some translations, even at verse 26, say, um, you know, let us make man our image after our likeness so that they may have dominion over the fish and the sea and, and all these things. It's, it's in our DNA, our identity, to not be lazy and to sit around and kind of navel gaze or play video games or stream shows all the time. We were made originally to work. Now the original jobs given to the first humans, it says that they are to have dominion over all these things, the fish, the birds, the livestock, over all the earth, all the, the creeping things, which I was just, I don't know, I, I kind of giggle at that, like, what are creeping things? I picture like just little animals like creeping around. But they're just, they're just smaller animals is what it means basically. In verse 28, again, it repeats it there to have dominion over all these things. And it kind of adds every living thing that moves these humans are to have dominion over. Or in verse 28, it adds and says there's to subdue the earth. Or, and it also kind of adds to it in verse 28 of uh, the work he gives to humanity to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. And this working idea continues on into chapter 2. Uh, as Stacy read, we, we see that God has been working. In verse 2, chapter 2, that God finished his work. He rested from all his work. Again in verse 3, from all his work. There's there's some sort of parallel going on here that we're made after God's image, his likeness. He worked. We are supposed to work. He rested. As we're going to talk about later, we are supposed to rest also. So originally these first humans, these people, they were to rule over, dominion, subdue. There's kind of a, a royal language to this, to rule over a kingdom given to them. There's even a sense of kind of putting down opposition. 
which, you know, that, that'll come later, but to, to lead, to uh, bring into bondage everything down below. I found this interesting um, Mesopotamian um, account. So same time period of, of uh, Genesis or when Moses is brought this in the Exodus. This is a different other gods telling of how they thought humans and the world was created. Notice the differences between humans in the Bible and in this. So in this, uh, Tiamat, a god, has been uh, murdered and one half of his corpse uh, becomes the world uh, because they, he fought against Marduk and uh, all the other deities are to work then and they're to uh, maintain the earth and they cry out for help. And so Marduk creates humans. Here's what it says. Arteries I will not and bring bones into beating. I will create man to be his name. Let him be burdened with the toil of the gods that they may freely breathe. They bound him, held him, inflicted the penalty on him, severed his arteries, and from his blood he formed mankind, imposed toil on man, set the gods free. Do you notice the differences there? I mean, compared to how God actually creates us with kind of this magisterial ruling dominion over instead of just, uh, yeah, you'll work now for us gods. And we'll see in the next few weeks, too, that Adam, the first man, is given this specific task to work the ground, work the garden, to keep it in some way. And this is before sin enters or anything. He's to pick fruit and vegetables and tame animals and groom them. I don't know exactly. It doesn't say exactly how he did that. But this does not for me mean for us that we are to dominate and destroy everything that God has given us, right? Not to abuse, but to rule over. In fact, as we're going to see a little later, that there's, there's no killing of animals yet, even for food. So all of you that are maybe into hunting and fishing, and I'm not saying that's bad, but that's not exactly what he's talking about here. This is not like, you know, the early uh, settlers here, like killing all the bison because I'm going to subdue and all that. I don't know if you ever played like Oregon Trail, that computer game when you were a kid. Like the best thing to do was to hunt, and the bison were the best ones, right, because they're easy to kill. Or you just name all the family after your friends and go as fast as you can and see who survives at the end. That's what Oregon Trail was to me. But no, this is Adam's job, our job to lead, respect, protect in some way. I don't know, maybe there'll be future, I think it's Star Trek that says, you know, go boldly where no man has gone before, even into other places. But the other job that's given to them, that's really important for us to just mention here, we'll talk more about in the next few weeks, it says to procreate, be fruitful, to make Babies, it's this mentioned over and over again, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. 
even in the Exodus, in chapter 1, this is how the Israelites have been talked about, that they have been filling and been fruitful and multiplying. God is blessing them through this. It's not some sort of um, weird fertility ritual that other religions and gods, you know, did back then. But no, this is God saying that before sin entered the world, that you are to procreate, uh, that he even is the one that created sex and that it is very good and this should speak even to our, our culture and sexuality and all of these things in our culture today saying that God had a plan a specific plan and as we're going to see in chapter two and then three that specific plan to procreate is one biological man one biological female in marriage monogamous relationship but even this work has changed. Sin enters in the world and it changes things. It makes it harder. It makes it difficult. But I want you to think about your own job, your own vocation, what you do. Your work, your job, whether you are retired or still working, you have purpose. You have value. In fact, the Bible says that we will even work in the next life. Heaven, we will serve, work God in some, work for God in some way. And so do you value your work like God does? Do you work unto God? Do you glorify him in all that you do? There's a great saying that says that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. It's this, you know, encouraging uh, to anyone that he can, he can use everyone. That you don't need to be this um, super Christian, good, talented, where he will call you to do something, but he will equip you. You may not feel like your job is maybe very important for the work you do, or magisterial, like ruling over the earth and the animals, but God will equip you for what he calls you to do. And that's what we see here also in Genesis 1. So the second thing this morning is that we were blessed by God. In this account of God creating everything, he blesses three times. In verse 28, he blessed them. He blesses male, female, humanity. Earlier on, he blesses the animals. Uh, we saw in chapter 2, he blesses a certain day, the, the seventh day day. All these things are, are good. They're, they're very good. So he's um, enriching them somehow. He's, he's sharing his, his grace, his own goodness onto the day, to us, to animals, to bless. And, and this is a theme throughout Genesis that we'll see that God is, is sharing his grace, not because someone is good enough or what, but he blesses them for a purpose. Like in Genesis 12, he says to this random guy, Abraham, um, I want you to go far away to a country. I want you to leave your father's house. And I will make a great nation of you. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. There's this theme of I'll bless you to bless others. 
And this is still true for us even today. I think this idea of blessing or asking God to bless somebody, sometimes it becomes just a, a, a general way of praying. Or, or when someone sneezes, that's, we say, you know, God bless you, right? I sneeze really loudly. I usually sneeze two and a half times in the sun, right? So I need those, God bless you. But it's more than that than just for sneezing. Uh, Adrian and I went to a, a little retreat Monday, Tuesday. Uh, about 60 pastors and their wives there in the free church in Iowa. Um, it was an interesting topic they, they picked. It was on pain and um, kind of growing through that, finding joy in that. And we, there was a couple that shared there about some different pain and growth, whether it's in their family or uh, sickness or just hardships in, in ministry. And, and the guy, Jeremy, was sharing, he said, one of the things I do every morning is I, I, I wake up and I read from Ephesians chapter 1. Every morning, he said he does this. And it talks about the blessings that God still has for us today. Let me just read these for you here. This is just so good to remind ourselves weekly, monthly, daily of these things. 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What are these spiritual blessings? Well, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he, he blessed us by predestining us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption, another blessing through his blood, the forgiveness, another blessing for trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. I know there's some deep kind of theological terms in there, but just a lot of depth to go into to think, God, you have truly blessed me as a believer. Now, there is a, a warning here. Um, you, you'll find blessing in, as a theme in Genesis. We're also going to cross the opposite of, of cursing. In fact, in that uh, Genesis 12 passage of God blessing and then making him a blessing, he then says, you know, those that dishonor you, I will curse. We'll find curses in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. There's, there's this, this thing that if, you, if you, you blatantly go against God, you, you, you sin, you, you go against His will, don't just expect blessing because I'm going to do it my way and not your way. There's a warning here that unless you pursue Christ, know who He is, and not your own way, don't expect blessing. Now, not only are these first humans, Adam and Eve, 
blessed, but they're also uh, provided for. And we are also provided for. Verse 29 and 30, they, they're maybe not the most kind of quotable, important passage here, um, but they do say something about, I think, God's goodness and grace and, 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 and providing for us. It talks about food. And it says, okay, for you, you first humans, I'm going to give you seed plants, trees with seeds and, and fruit. Animals are given food, you know, every green plant. In fact, it's not till after the uh, Noah and the ark that um, other things are given like animals to people to eat. I mean, they, they were vegetarians here, right? And it still says it was very good. God didn't just um, leave them, say, good luck, hope you survive. I mean, he provides something basic as in food. Last week, uh, um, I was going to get some Jethro's barbecue pickup, and uh, I put on a podcast. It was um, uh, revisionist history, and it had, I didn't really choose it. I was just kind of picked it. It had a whole story as I'm driving to get food about this experiment after World War II um, to figure out how starvation works in human beings. Have you ever heard of K-rations? The guy who developed that did this experiment to try and see how little of food people could eat. And talking about, you know, people and um, desiring food so much and watching other people eat food. I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm driving to go get barbecue and then I get the food and I'm smelling it as I'm listening to this about starvation. I'm just reminded about how good is our God that he gave us Something as simple as food. I mean, he could have said, you know, here is a pill. Uh, take this as uh, this will be nutrients for you and this will be your food. Or, or flavorless food. But he gave us taste buds and palate. And I don't know if anybody had, you know, loss of taste and all that with COVID. I, I never did. But, uh, you know, that... We have delicious and amazing foods, just a blessing that God has given us. He provided for us. I mean, even just, I think, almost a, an apologetic that there is a God, that we have things like chocolate and peanut butter and combined, or bacon, or deep dish Chicago pizza, or ribs, candy corn. Anybody a candy corn fan out there? A few of you. I was reading uh, Nehemiah this last week. Uh, Nehemiah is reminding his people about even in the Exodus, they're traveling in the desert for 40 years. Uh, Nehemiah 9.21 says, 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Or in New Testament, Paul encourages people, he says, as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Does God still provide for us today? Absolutely. Now, this is not just a 
blank check or God is a, a genie. He will provide for you whatever you want. Whatever you ask for. But, but a good question to think about is, is, are you trusting in God to provide for you? Or are you trusting more in yourself? In your job? Somebody else? Uh, you know, last week we, uh, we had a finance team meeting. And we're kind of talking about uh, finances at our church and those things. And we do this kind of once a quarter. We kind of look at kind of general trends and that kind of thing. Um, you know, we kind of looked at uh, the last year... Um, about a third of our people that we kind of consider to call Lighthouse home um, gave, gave, gave nothing in tithing or offering. I want to encourage you that if you don't give or aren't generous, whether it's to church or somewhere else, that you really pray and think about, am I trusting God with even my finances? God tells us to do that, to, to give it away, to be generous, to give it back to him, and he will provide for you beyond what you can even imagine. I've heard testimonies. We've seen it in our own life and family. Finally, we were made to rest. You'll see a balance here in these four points that we began with work and rest and kind of sandwich the middle that God he blesses and provides for us. And when I started talking about verse 31, right? Everything was made very good. He ends this by, by saying that everything is very good. And he ends day six. And then on day seven, it says that God was finished from all his working and he rested. I think there's a little hint there also of, of when Jesus, he's on the cross and he says, it is finished. The work he had done for us mimics this work that God did in creation. He had finished this. Now, why, why would God need to rest? I mean, yeah, he just created everything in six days and he, he spoke it into being. I mean, I, I get kind of tired. I like taking a nap in the afternoon after preaching once, twice. But this is God. What would he be if he needed to rest or take a break? I mean, the word rest here that's mentioned a couple times, it's maybe not even the best translation. It, it really better means to cease or to stop um, instead of kind of oh, resting from running a, a mile or something. No, God is stopping to enjoy what he has created, to celebrate, and I think even to add an example then for us that we are to rest, the importance of rest now and rest in the next life. And again, like the animals and like us, God says, I'm going to bless this certain day and it's going to be made holy. It's, it's not just meant to be uh, a day 
off where you don't do anything or not meant to be a day that you catch up on work. It's meant to be a day of blessing and holiness, a day of, 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 of worship in some way. Um, and this idea is then continued, you see in the Old Testament, with kind of the Sabbath, the same Hebrew word, root word, rest, Sabbath. In fact, it's so important to God that in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20 says this, remember the Sabbath day, remember the rest day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but in the seventh day, the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do no work, any of you. And then verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Just a side note, this is one of the main reasons why I, I believe in the kind of very literal God made this in six days. That's how he kind of makes our week to mimic creation being made in six days. But it's so important that they then have rules and laws like do not work on this special day. Make it holy. And I think applying them and translating to us today, you know, that's, that's why we have worship and church. If the very minimal least thing you do is to come to church on Sabbath, that's, that's something, right? To be worshiping together, to be in the Word together. I did a little fun thing. I, I looked at our name tag attendance um, for September, and I found that there were um, 59 of you guys, middle school on up, that came for all of September. Awesome. There were four kids um, two are my own that don't really count. They have to come. Um, but also Nora Cosgrove and Remington Trumbly. Like if you, you guys want to like slip some extra cookies after church or high five, that'd be great. Or I also look back, I look back like five months. Who has been at church five months straight? One was Craig Nelson, who's, he's not even here today, which he broke his streak. <laughs> he's on vacation. Uh, Another one was Ron Sones, who he works here, but thank you, Ron, for coming. And um, Leonard Christman was our third one. Leonard up in the booth. I, I say this all half-joking, like, you know, like this, uh, but there is an importance, I think, to committing to the Sunday morning, to the idea of Sabbath and worship and holiness and putting God first. Because ultimately... We get to rest here on a Sunday, but we'll get to rest up in heaven. Yes, there's this work rest idea in heaven. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 talks about this. I want to kind of conclude with this. Hebrews is an interesting book because it's, it's an encouragement, but it's a warning also. He keeps saying in this passage, he looks back to the people of God in the Old Testament and kind of how God is saying, I want to give you rest in the, the promised land. They're going to go to this place and, and rest. But it says, starting in verse 7 in chapter 3, it's quoting a psalm, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they will not enter my rest. My Bible kind of breaks it up and you can kind of see different quotes. And he, he keeps coming back to that phrase in chapter 4 also, verse 3, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then in verse 5, shall not enter my rest. And he keeps warning them and pleading with them that you must believe to get away from this evil generation, that because of your unbelief and disobedience, you will not enter my rest. So look at verse 11, chapter 4. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God, his truth, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That can be a scary passage for some to say that God is always watching. He's there. But this author in Hebrews to strive to enter God's rest. And as Jesus came onto the scene, he said, Come to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and I will give you rest. That is the only way to find true rest, fulfillment in our work and receive blessing and, and all that God gives to us. And that's my hope, my pleading to you today, is that you would find your rest, your, your trusting in Jesus alone. And so let's pray about that now. Uh, Father, I, I thank you that you give us rest, <laughs> whether it's after a long day, or you refresh us and worship and being in the Word of God and we get to look forward someday to being with you in heaven, to resting and, and worshiping with you, resting from this world of sin. But we know that that path to rest is only found in Jesus. And so we, again, we, we say out loud, we say in our hearts, I believe in you, Jesus. I trust in what you did on the cross. And I know that I'm not good enough. I keep on sinning, but... You've given the Holy Spirit to me to forgive, to believe, to trust in you. So God, we glorify you now. We lift you up and praise you. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.